Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today we're joined by Marcus Vidiatu, CEO of Parfine, which is one of Brazil's leading blockchain infrastructure providers. We talk about Parfine's origin story, business model, and participation in the Drex pilot program. Great. So we're here today with Marcus Viriatu of Parfine. Great to have you on the show, Marcus. Hi, Aaron. Uh, well, uh, thank you for inviting me. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. We've been talking, uh, you know, uh, for a long time, and then uh, now it's a it's a great opportunity to be here and share our thoughts with your audience. Amazing, amazing. Glad we could finally make it happen. Uh, so to get started, why don't you give us a bit of background on yourself and how you got into Bitcoin and crypto? Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm uh, the CEO and co-founder of Parfin. Um, I have like 20 plus years of financial, traditional financial markets uh, experience. Um, majority of this, I, I was an MD partner of PTG Pactual, which is the one of the largest uh, investment bank in Latin America. Um, uh, I ran operations technology globally. So we did a bunch of stuff uh, related to obviously traditional financial markets. Um, at certain point, uh, you know, I was always looking for innovation. What's going on? And I, 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 I found out about Bitcoin uh, a while back, like 2014, and I bought my first Bitcoins uh, at like around $600. And uh, after that, I read the Satoshi White Paper, and I said, "Oh my God, this technology is amazing! It's going to transform the financial markets as we know." I need to do something in the space. Uh, so that's how everything started. Um, and later, uh, BTG start trading crypto, and there's the token issuance, uh, right? BZ, which was an asset that was one of the first STOs uh, done by a bank. And um, so, uh, with that, I, I said, listen, this is gonna again, uh, you know, uh, be something uh, unique for the future. I need to be involved. So, when I left the bank in 19, uh, we decided to. to to start Parfine because uh, we realized there was lack of infrastructure for institutional clients. And uh, that's where, uh, where, where everything started. Um, so, so now we are here. And I think that helped a lot also because we saw, you know, uh, once Ethereum was launched uh, in 16 and then the whole ICO movement on 17. And, and the ICO was to me, um, the, the proof that you know blockchain would work for financial markets, despite the fact that all most of the ICOs were you know tokens without any anything backing them, uh, but the, the technology proved to work in a big global decentralized distribution of assets, people buying and selling and trading uh, tokens all, all all over that would represent uh, you know a, a real world assets. So that to me was the trigger that I said, well. This is going to happen one day, so we need to build infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as much you know, maybe bad press as the ICO era gets at this at this stage in the game, it, there was a lot of real innovation that happened there, and a lot of just things that we've never witnessed before at that level of scale. Right, the ability to just crowdfund a massive amount of money from just a random like anonymous people from around the world, people trading these things, even if granted they didn't really have any value or they <laughs> there was no the value proposition was a bit lacking, but but just the, the fact that this was even doable is is innovative in itself, right? Um, and I would love to talk a bit more about uh, 
you know, kind of your journey into Parfine. And I, I do find it kind of interesting that there's this, uh, you know, we, in, you know, we, in tech, we talk about like the PayPal mafia and crypto, there's the Coinbase mafia. And I feel like with, at BTG, there's kind of this like BTG mafia of people who have left BTG to go start their own things, you know, in crypto. Uh, but maybe talk a bit about Parfine. Like, what's the origin story? Who are your co-founders? Uh, what's the thesis behind it? And, um, you know, we can kind of dive into some of your uh, kind of your, your products and, and services as well in, in a bit. Cool, cool. Yeah. Well, um, originally, originally, uh, and that's the beauty of uh, uh, any startup, you have the flexibility to pivot and change the, the 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 route you're going because the market sometimes is very dynamic especially on the on the blockchain crypto ecosystem so uh, initially when i left btg i had invested in few startups and companies and uh, one of them was parfing actually uh, and the idea behind uh, parfing back there was to to uh, launch a, a regulated stable coin in uk uh, and i was living in london at that time and uh, Christian Bond, which is uh, one of the co-founders, had the idea to, you know, why not, you know, launch a stablecoin. At the time, you only had uh, Tether, which had like uh, 15 uh, billion dollars of market cap. It was really tiny. It was uh, no even even less. The total market cap of stablecoins were 15 billion dollars. So there's Tether. I think was eight nine and there's their uh, taxes uh, dollar and usdc was at the very very beginning and our views was like well if we build something that we could prove reserves online instantaneously uh that would be great for you know the the um the means of payment uh, right really using you know a, a stable coin for means of payment uh to improve to gain efficiency um so we started parfing, but uh, when I invested, I said, guys, okay, the stablecoin is great, but you need infrastructure. Otherwise, people won't use it. You need a wallet system. You need how ways to control it, right, to, to custody, especially for banks. And uh, the idea is that, okay, let's build, you know, let's do the stablecoin, but also build an infrastructure. So a um, few months later, when the project started, I left BTG. And then I said, guys, I'm going to help you guys uh, with this to run the uh, the company. And in parallel, uh, Facebook uh, uh, announced the Libra, you know. And at that time, all the regulators around the world said, oh, you cannot do this. You need to be regulated. So there is a lot of scrutiny on, on, on Facebook and from regulators all over the world. Then we, we look back and said, guys. If Facebook is facing such a tremendous scrutiny from regulators to launch their stablecoin, what about us? You know, we're going to launch this stablecoin. Let's forget about it. So we we gave up the idea of of uh, our stablecoin, which at that time was going to be called uh, Parcoin. We gave up, uh, and uh, then we said, okay, let's let's keep building the infrastructure. So our first product was uh, what we call Parfine Terminal, which is an analogy of Bloomberg Terminal, where uh, the idea was, oh, you need to manage your, your crypto, your digital assets. So you need to, a portfolio, you need to consolidate your positions. And at that time, people were trading crypto in different exchanges, especially institutional uh, investors, funds, uh, trading desks, etc. So we built that tool where we connect to multiple exchanges, 
we consolidate the, the, the positions in one single view and you can track it, you can move crypto from exchange A to B uh, to the internal custody. At that time, we, we were using Curve as our MPC solution. Curve was this Israeli uh, firm that was later uh, bought by Pay PayPal. Um, and then that uh, was another thing. We decided to build uh, our own MPC. So uh, we started with Parfing Terminal. We got some clients. Um, and it was funny because we started building it in February 2020. And then all of a sudden, uh, the pandemic came, right? And then everyone, the market collapsed. Uh, Bitcoin reached uh, $3,000 for those who, who remember. Uh, it was a, a good entry point, actually. Uh, but, you know, the, the world would uh, would fall apart. Uh, and um, we didn't give up. We continued to build, build, build. So later in the in 2020, we had our first, first product, uh, you know, uh, um, live. And we got like few clients, most asset managers. And that helped us a lot because we, we opened our, our eyes to to continue building technology. And, and at the end of the day, one of our clients, they said, well, can you uh, build me a, a more sort of a, a sales site tool? So, well, yes, we can. So we built our second product, which was uh, the crypto as a service. And the crypto as a service basically is a brokerage tool where if you're a new bank, an investment platform, and you want to offer crypto to your end clients, just build your buy and sell screen connect to our APIs, and there's a whole sophistication to manage it. You can define the spread per currency, per client. You can give limits. And there's this smart order routing tool where you can execute on the best price on the connected exchange. So that gives a, a, a lot of flexibility for the clients to manage their, their, their crypto ecosystem. And the combination of the two, the terminal and the crypto as a service, is very powerful because you have an end-to-end -end solution. So you can manage it, uh, you know, the entire life cycle from your prop trading. You can create your own pricing engine. So it uh, ends up being sophisticated. So then we, we got big clients like the Brazilian Stock Exchange uses uh, our crypto as a service to offer crypto as a service to the market. We have XP. We have like a, around 20 clients today using uh, those, a lot of those institutional clients. And there are more coming. There's, there's more coming. And for us, uh, I think 2022 was the year where the we 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 I don't like to to, to call it crypto winter, but it's a it's a down market, right? From uh, has been crypto has been like this. Uh, it's like it, it happens in waves. It's a roller coaster, and we're in the bottom of a cycle now. Uh, and for us, it was was positive because despite of the 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 market has uh, bottomed, uh, we. We grew, we grew our revenue, we grew our client base. So it was a, it was a good momentum. Uh, and again, I think, uh, you know, um, a lot of clients, uh, especially the institutional ones, after the FTX collapsed, they realized that they, they would need to have more control uh, uh, over uh, their crypto, their infrastructure, et cetera. And, and that's where, where we are because we, we provide the technology and they can manage their own. They can really control uh, uh, the end-to-end. -end. And, and then in parallel, again, coming from traditional financial markets, but uh, loving crypto, um, 
our review back there, remember, was like, well, the financial markets, as we know, would convert to blockchain rails, uh, would use blockchain for gain, gains of efficiency, etc. And especially in Brazil, I think we're living a very good momentum. Uh, so last year, um, one of our clients on the crypto space, which is Vortex, um, uh, entered into the into the sandbox of the Securities Commission of Brazil (CVN), uh, and they were using our infrastructure. And they tokenized the first ever security in Brazil, which is a debenture, it's a corporate bond. Uh, it was very, very exciting because uh, um, we worked together with them to put together the solution. And then, uh, you know, the, the very, very, uh, you know, first uh, security tokenization happened uh, and we were part of it. Uh, in parallel last year, the central bank also started the sandbox, the, the, the lift challenge. Uh, which was a sort of sandbox for the CBDC to learn more about what would be done, etc. And so nine banks uh, were selected. One of them was Santander, and Santander hired us, and we 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 built the whole uh, infrastructure around this sandbox. And that was uh, really good because it was super complementary. In one hand, we were doing the sandbox for the Securities Commission of Brazil with. One of, one of our clients on security tokens. And on the other hand, you know, the Central Bank of Brazil starting the sandbox for the CBDC, so it's, which were very complementary. And, yeah. and, and, and our view was, Aaron, was quite funny because we see uh, the crypto space as, a, an, as an innovation lab. Everything is happening there. The innovation mm. is happening there. DeFi, lending pools, liquidity pools, automated market makers. So there's a lot of innovation. So what we do, knowing both sides, we we learn a lot, we implement this technology on the crypto side, and then we port it over for the more traditional finance way to gain innovate, to, you know, to gain efficiency, to gain innovation. So that's, uh, you know, it's uh, part of our, our job, uh, you know, to, to use the innovation and the, you know, the cutting edge technology that's happening to crypto and port it over to the traditional financial markets, um, you know? Great. Yeah. So just to kind of summarize here. So basically you guys have a variety of different tools and products available from a, from a terminal to a crypto as a service to an MPC custody. Uh, you even have your own chain now, which I want to ask a bit more about a little bit later. And then and you're kind of offering really the whole kind of gamut of, of services to, to, to various institutions uh, everything from from you know it sounds like you can either you you know an institution could use kind of the entire product offering or they could kind of pick and choose like oh I just want custody or I just want uh, asset tokenization or I just want uh, whatever they can kind of pick and choose all a cart essentially but you guys are offering really the whole sort of uh, the whole breadth of 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 options of different products that that a financial institution like this uh, would would or would potentially be interested in and. Uh, you covered a bunch of different points that I want to, I'd like to double click on over the rest of this conversation. I think before we dive into that, I wanted to just mention, um, you know, you guys raised a round at the beginning of this year or you closed around or it was at least announced at the beginning of this year in January, 15 million. And I believe it was a seed round. And, um, you know, kind of to your, your point about how we're 2022 is a bit of a down year for the market. Um, but for you guys to come out and raise 15 million, uh, you know, in a seed round is, was certainly noteworthy was just hoping you give a bit more color on, on that round. Uh, and I also know that framework and framework ventures was the lead investor in that, um, which is, I think notably was not 
it's like a North American investor, like pretty big, you know, North American crypto VC. And at least from my vantage point, it doesn't seem very common for these types of VCs to be writing, writing big checks to companies, at least in the, you know, the LATAM Brazil region. So just hoping you give it more color on like, what was that? What's that relationship like? Like, why did they take an interest in you guys? And uh, yeah, well, over to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, well, that was uh, last year was a village, you know, the big challenging year for startups. Uh, a lot of good companies with good products uh, died because uh, lack of funding. And um, um, we, we were at the at the limit, or we had like a few months of run, runway. And but you know, um, despite of all this, uh, you know, turmoil in the markets. Again, VCs were were you know putting a, a, a you know not not investing much uh, from half for like summer last year to the end of the year. Um, in parallel. In the crypto space, you had the collapse of uh, Trero Capital, FTX, and the whole confusion that happened uh, in the in the ecosystem. Therefore, we we had you know our view that you know financial markets would convert to crypto. We were well we were very well positioned not only with uh, so important big clients, institutional clients, but also in terms of technology. Our view, and that was the, you know, money is important for a startup, but the alignment of our strategy for the future. So we saw that, you know, the the institutional adoption of crypto or blockchain would happen through permission networks. So, and that was triggered the last year, at the very beginning of last year, AV, which is a, a lending uh, DeFi protocol, launched uh, AV Arc. That was the first one, and it shocked a little bit the crypto ecosystem because you know, why you're doing a version of your your lending pool in a permissioned way, where people would be KYC, uh, you know, know your customer, because they realized that you know for institutional adoption you need to know who you're you don't need to know who you're trading directly with, but you need to know that they've been validated by some, you know, trusted counterparties. Why? Because you don't want to get involved into a lending pool where there could be, uh, you know, money laundering activity or, or so on. So our view was pretty much the same. We said, okay, uh, we believe that the institutional adoption will happen through permission networks. So in that regard, what we did, you know, the combination of our products, uh, terminal, etc., would allow the, the, the operational element of, uh, uh, you know, getting to permission networks. But we said, we need to build a permission network. So that's how we came with the idea of building Parchain. And Parchain is an EVM compatible, uh, you know, blockchain. Actually, there, there's few components of Parchain. One is a private ledger, which is, a, in fact, it was a, was a fork of Gas, which is a, one of the Ethereum clients. And we changed a little bit the, the consensus mechanism. We built, a, a, you know, a, the other component of Parchain is a, is a bridge system, which would allow you to, you know, uh, the interoperability between public and permission blockchains, as well as, as within the permission blockchain interoperability of, of tokens. And, and that's, again, when we built that, uh, our view is that, well, the, the next two, three, four, five years, there will be, you know, specific purpose networks or blockchain, uh, you know, permission 
uh, permission blockchains that would run, you know, maybe a, a you know a network for you know auto tokens, a network for you know financial instrument tokens, some networks for CBDCs, uh, and and that would require you know this infrastructure. So when we we had this deal uh, and we presented this to Framework, and Framework had invested Framework Ventures, they had invested in. Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Polygon in many, you know, like DeFi uh, tokens and, and companies. And their view was pretty much the same as ours, where, well, the institutional adoption would happen through permission networks or permission technology, permission. So, and, and then uh, the first time we met, they said, wow, you guys are building something. You know, you have already a client base on your crypto offering. You are building something that we truly believe that will be the, the next generation of institutional adoption for crypto, which is this permission uh, networks and solutions. So then that was the, the uh, perfect uh, alignment, despite, again, of, uh, of this um, not good momentum in crypto. Uh, and then after one, one of your startup and you find a leader to, to your round, then it, it becomes easier because there will be always uh, followers and investors that would trust. But framework, uh, you know, is, uh, is fantastic. They they have a you know very clear view. They have analyzed hundreds and, and thousands of uh, DeFi tokens and protocols. They are very technical, very very technical. I remember the first time uh, we we had a conversation. They said, "Well, how do you do that?" How did that? So they, they went really deep into the technical uh, elements of what we're building, uh, and we like a lot, uh, you know, to be challenged. And uh, so that's that's how we we built, uh, you know, this this uh, round again, despite of the uh, not a good momentum in the markets. And that's we're keeping delivering. We're we're rebuilding. Um, it's been quite exciting because uh, when we look the solutions we're building, we could help, you know. The privacy of a central bank digital currency. We could help on, you know, many, uh, you know, different cases. Um, and and again, it's. Um, I, I think because sometimes you build a technology, you could be ahead of the market, and then no one uses it. Right. That's the challenge of any startup. So you you're so for thinking that you can build something that no one is using because the market's not prepared for using that. Or uh, but then. If you start building later, maybe you lose the momentum, right? Because there are other people using it. So in our view, we believe that we're, we had this view that the permission would happen. And so we start building the technology, not, you know, uh, uh, very ahead of the market. So I would say that we're, we're going um, hand in hand, hand in hand, head to head with the market the demand for this. So maturity of crypto in Brazil is getting better and better. Regulation is favorable. Then the maturity of the you know security tokens, the tokenization and CBDC is getting there. And our technology is pretty much ready to support all this ecosystem. So that helps a lot as well, right? For, for when you're a startup. Uh, so you, you can have a, a super good product, but the market doesn't demand it. Or you know, you're you're late in the in the game because once you build it, the market's further ahead. So I think we're we're also we've been uh, quite lucky into this you know momentum of the market.
Yeah, it does seem like you are pretty well positioned at this point in time with the solutions you're bringing to the market and uh, how those match up with the overall zeitgeist of the market right now, where a lot of the the fluff from 2021 has been flushed away. Like NFT market is essentially gone. Uh, it's looking now that you know unregulated DeFi. I mean, just looking at some of the news coming out of the U.S. in the last couple of weeks, like the future of unregulated DeFi is very much uh, in question of what this is even going to look like. Uh, at least, at least in the U.S. anyway, and uh, what you guys are offering is something that is that will be much more palatable toward that toward that 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 kind of that sweet spot of the of the tradfi audience that's looking to get in this new asset class in a way that's that uh, doesn't pose immense career risk. Essentially, I suppose. Um, would love to to dive into a couple of topics you alluded to earlier uh, with regards to your work with the CVM sandbox as well as the central bank. Uh, there's a variety of programs you guys have been. I know you're, you're pretty close with the central bank folks. You guys have been involved in like the the the, the lift challenge, uh, also in the the, the Drex pilot. Now we we can get into that a bit later. But would love to hear a bit more about, in particular, uh, the Santander project that you had mentioned earlier, as well as the the tokenization project that you've been uh, you're working with in the the CVM uh, sandbox. Yeah. Yeah, um, let's start with the the, the Santander uh, case. So Santander, uh, uh, last year the the Central Bank of Brazil started this. Uh, it's called Sandbox uh, Lift Challenge, and they uh, their uh, their idea was to explore like four different uh, uh, business cases. Uh, one is well, uh, uh, deliver versus payment using uh, you know a, a CBDC. The other one is. Uh, 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 payment uh, to payment to, for the, the to convert uh, real digital with something else, uh, dollar, whatever it is. Then the third uh, case would be DeFi. So how to use a, a CBDC and interact with the DeFi protocol. And the fourth business case proposed by the central bank was uh, IoT. Uh, so Internet of Things, things like well, how. Could I program a smart contract that would receive an input from you know your your fridge to buy more food and that would pay for the food automatically? Something around those lines, and so all those participants uh, uh, suggest something. They proposed a deliver versus payment, and the business case was the tokenization of cars, um, autos, and uh, real estate. And uh, we built a smart contract, the uh, deliver versus payment smart contract to you know um, instantaneous exchange uh, the car uh, the token of the car and the real estate uh, versus the, the the CBDC and the purpose of that was to solve you know um, a C2C problem right whereas if you are selling a car do you transfer the title of the car and then receive the money or you you pay then you, you receive the, the title of the car. And a lot of uh, there was a lot of fraud in the market. There's a lot of you know inefficiencies. So the idea was that, well, once you tokenize the title of the car and the seller wants to sell it, when they put into the market, effectively the token of the car leaves the wallet of the client, of the seller, and goes to a smart contract where it stays, it's like pretty much like a screw account, right? So the token of the car gets into the, the smart contract, the liververse payment smart contract. And then once the buyer says, I want to buy it. So the, 
the CBDC or the, the equivalent moves out of the buyer's wallet into the smart contract and then the, the exchange of the, the, the two tokens happen. And, and that's the beauty because it's all programmable. You, you don't need to have anyone interacting with this. So we did this in a very, you know, uh, let's say, uh, closed loop uh, because you, you wouldn't involve at this first uh, uh, moment the car uh, register agencies, uh, the trans in Brazil, and any other uh, external participant. But that proved that, you know, the technology would, would help and would facilitate such a such a transaction so that was um uh what we we have done with santander i think santander was the first one because when we started the the, the project uh, april last year it was a three months uh you know sandbox but then the central bank postponed for like six months uh but we we um, we agree santander said oh let's not stop the project despite of this uh, delay let's continue so we were on the one of the first to deliver and was uh, was really really good because it helped us to you know um test other scenarios including the interoperability so we at that time we use uh, uh, the first very first version of parchain was hyperledger vessel and that was funny because later, right, uh, the Central Bank of Brazil uh, decided to use a hyperledger vessel for the, the pilot now of the CBDC. And we tested, uh, you know, Aaron, uh, we tested the hyperledger vessel as the, the first version of Parchain. And we changed the, uh, the consensus algorithm. We changed a little bit the database. So we tested that at that time at the Lift Challenge running the the network with four nodes eight nodes 16 nodes 32 nodes and we tested you know um you know high uh you know uh, uh processing machines uh, servers to run the nodes for uh, you know throughput and, and so on so we did um, a bunch of uh, good analysis uh, uh to see if the the blockchain would support high level you know high volume transactions Similar to what happened with peaks today, right? You uh, you reached some at certain points of the day, you know, ten thousand transactions per second, nine thousand transactions per second. So that what would you would expect with the with the blockchain in in the future, right? To support you know a lot of transactions. So that was uh, was quite exciting. It was a learning curve for uh, for for us. Um, and and again, um, I think the solution was uh, was was quite interesting. Um, so then uh, the sandbox for the security token with CVM and, and Vortex QR, uh, QR uh, tokenizadora, it was, it was a little bit different because, you know, it was more, um, it was more uh, stable, but we understood some requirements from the Securities Commission of Brazil, especially uh, to uh, have the wallets of the investors that would buy the securities uh, segregated, so you, you couldn't use uh, on omnibus, uh, you know, uh, omnibus wallets for the distribution. Uh, the, the the secondary market and uh, and uh, the issues should happen in the deliver versus payment basis, so you don't run the central clearing counterpart risk. So there are a lot of elements that were uh, analyzed and discussed to bring again efficiency to the market. And, and I think, you know, uh, 
the sandbox is still uh, ongoing, and you know the C CVM, uh, especially with the, the new president Trump Pedro, it's pretty much aligned and is very aware of the capabilities of the blockchain to to disrupt this uh, you know security uh, space. And I think they have a very clear view of what needs to be done to regulate and to create you know uh, you know. Uh, the ecosystem for security tokens. Again, all those tasks uh, were were very, um, I think, fruitful in terms of bringing clarity of what's the uh, what's the role of the custodian in the crypto space versus the role of the custodian in the, in the traditional markets, right? Because there are some differences and nuances in between the two. Um, and what's the role of uh, the 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 tokenizadora, the uh, regular, what would be a regulated entity, which would combine the the register agent and the central clearing counterpart into one uh, entity. So there are differences in between the tradition, how, the way the traditional financial market works, and the way um, you know um, this new uh, uh, the new way that the you know the security tokens would work so that was uh, was fascinating because we could do a front to mapping on oh, how it works today how it will work in the future the gaps in regulation because there will be uh, there will be a requirement you know adjustments uh, to the regulation as well so I think that that's very uh, it was very interesting to be part of it, those discussions and to be part of this the construction of this new, uh, you know, framework, especially in Brazil. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's one of the more interesting, intriguing things about the Brazil market right now is the development of of uh, kind of the asset tokenization space, especially in the with the CVMs uh, kind of taking a leadership role and taking a forward looking view on on the technology and just kind of where things need to go uh, at this point in time. I want to turn back to uh, the central bank and the the, the dig digital real slash Drex. Uh, pilot program uh, that there's you guys are one of you're in one of the consortia that was selected to participate. There's 16 consortia. You're at you're at least in one. I mean, I, I'm having trouble keeping track of who's in what consortia now, but but you're at least in one of them. Um, so we'd love to just learn a bit more about like how has this been? You know, what's this experience been like thus far? And um, you know, what are you? I mean, I realize it's still kind of in the early early stages here of just trying to get uh, get nodes fired up on the network and whatnot. But what's this experience been like thus far, and uh, any initial reactions just from the experience thus far? Yeah, well, um, I think the central bank, uh, uh, you know, uh, is doing a great job in terms of putting together the pilot and giving a clear guidelines and and bringing the market to contribute. I think this is. To me, is uh, is uh, sort of unique. You don't see it uh, in many countries around the world, right? Uh, this interaction between the, uh, the let's call it public sector and private sector, where uh, it, where everyone is, uh, you know, uh, with the same focus and energy to deliver something great. And I think Brazil has uh, this uh, atmosphere, but that's uh, pretty much, you know, uh, driven by the central bank of Brazil. Uh, so. The pilot has few phases. So this first phase was the setup of the of the uh, network nodes. So each uh, uh, one of the consortiums would run a node. Central bank is running six. The treasury of, of Brazil is running four, and and there will be sixteen others running by the consortiums or banks. 
We are officially in one of the consortiums with uh, uh, TechBun and Baza, uh, which is the bank of Amazon. Uh, then uh, we're also supporting other four uh, consortiums. Uh, some are public, the Banco BV, uh, and, and uh, where we are providing infrastructure. So there are different uh, business cases. Each one of those uh, 16 participants are, are looking uh, for. So some banks, they are looking for the entire, you know, life cycle. What I mean by this, the central bank has pro uh, proposed, uh, you know, um, yeah, some sort of complex use case where it's, a, you know, for the pilot, which is client of bank A selling a governor, a tokenized government bond for a client of bank B. It's a sort of a peer-to-peer -peer transaction Therefore, using the bank's infrastructure to run it, uh, and you would involve uh, the the tokenized deposit. It would involve, you know, the smart contract for delivery of payment. It would involve the uh, wholesale CBDC or the Drax, right, or the the uh, this the this the real digital and and into this whole uh, process. So it's a very complex. Uh, it's a very complex. Uh, complex uh, you know scenario uh because it you know uh in the world of cbdc's um you know central banks choose between uh developing the retail cbdc or the uh, wholesale cbdc so wholesale cbdc would be more used for interbanking transaction or cross border uh, payments and then the retail cbdc more for the you know uh, domestic markets payments and so on um, and some central banks say, oh, I'm going to only do wholesale, the others uh, retail. Um, and the more, the most complex uh, CBDC projects involve both, right? Uh, re retail and wholesale. In Brazil, you have Drax. It's, a, it's an ecosystem, right? Drax is, is the wholesale, which is the, the real digital, the token that's issued by the central bank for interbank settlement. And you don't call retail, but uh, it's a, the tokenized deposit, which is a bank's deposit, which is similar to what people consider to be the retail CBDC and those interacting to buy a, a government bond in a peer-to-peer -peer transaction. So out of the 16 participants, there are consortiums that will only be able to test uh, the retail CBDC or the, the tokenized deposit because they don't, they don't, they don't sell uh, 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 government bonds to their end clients. So there are others, you know, uh, that will be uh, able to to test the whole the, the wholesale CBDC because there will be a payment between institution a bank a financial institution one to two, and again there are banks that offer uh, for their end clients uh, government bonds, so they would be able to test the whole life cycle, the tokenized deposit. The wholesale CBDC um, and the uh, and the buy and sell of uh, uh, government bonds. So I think you know uh, we uh, this first phase was the, the implementation of the nodes. Some of the smart contracts are available for the wholesale and the retail CBDC. The wholesale, I mean the the real digital CBDC and the deposit, the tokenized deposit for banks. Um, 
I think there will be a lot of tests of interoperability, of uh, settlement, the delivery versus payment, and that will start, um, uh, you know, uh, in the coming weeks. I think some banks are already testing the smart contracts for the wholesale and the retail. Some even did transfers in, in between accounts. Um, and uh, again, it's just the beginning. And the central bank will also uh, start uh, analyzing uh, the privacy solutions in the market. So let's see. Yeah, definitely a lot going on there. I appreciate the color as well. Um, it's, it's helpful to have somebody who's really kind of intimately you know, familiar with these, these workings on the inside and understanding the different kind of nuances of each of the consortia. Um, and I, 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 so I appreciate your viewpoint there. Um, and I want to get your, your take here on just the, you know, what is the, the kind of the, this Drex ecosystem like mean for maybe the, the broader crypto ecosystem in general? There's a lot, I think there's a lot of people in, in crypto who may not be, not, you know, when it comes to CBDCs, they either, you know, they're either just like sort of dismissive of it for philosophical reasons, or they just think it's like a totally different technological thing. It's like, oh, it's a permission to chain government money, whatever. This is like we're in crypto, not government money. Um, and I would like your take on like, why is what's happening in the Drex ecosystem here like bullish for crypto digital assets more generally? Well, uh, first of all, um, I think uh, one of the biggest frictions that happened into the crypto markets is the on off ramp process to buy crypto, right? So you, you need to send fiat normal dollars, reais, whatever, to an exchange and convert it to, into, into crypto. So this on-off ramp has been a problem all over the world since the beginning. I remember at the beginning, uh, no banks would provide banking accounts for crypto exchange counterparties, etc. And after the collapse of uh, Silicon Valley Bank and, you know, uh, 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 Silvergate uh, and, uh, you know, people realized that this problem has not been solved. Still, there's friction. Still, there's uh, problems, which certain elements uh, restrict, you know, people to buy and sell more, more crypto. So when, my view is that when you have the, the, the CBDC, you know, uh, you're, you're saying that the, your money now is tokenized and the way you can exchange with like uh, crypto is seamless. It's, they are in the same rails. They're in the same it's like uh, uh, level uh, of uh, interaction. So to me, I think that will boost the that that's the first step to boost even further crypto. The second thing, which I I, I mentioned, I truly believe that some of the crypto solutions, especially some DeFi protocols landing pools, automated market makers will be used to boost, you know, uh, with the with the usage of uh, CBDC to boost innovation into the traditional markets. Like, for instance, I want to, you know, finance my car and today I need to go to a bank. Well, if I have the, my car tokenized and I can lend it out into a DeFi protocol permission, there are people willing to to uh, to lend me money, and that's innovation. That's so I, I truly believe that, and that will boost some of those DeFi crypto ecosystem because that technology is working there, 
But once they are uh, used to to uh, you know for uh, you know uh, for the purpose of uh, you know getting to their day to day lives of people, wow, this is uh, fantastic, right? Because today the guys that people that oh, the crypto uh, people that use uh, you know Av or Compound or those lending pools. You can, you can you can you know borrow money, but you deposit a collateral, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and you borrow USDC. So you are in a, it's a closer loop. You can use only crypto to do that. But in the future, with the CBDCs, uh, you can have the same thing to borrow money against your house, against your 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 car, against the tokenized car, and so on. So that's a for me, will be the second wave of crypto solutions adoption into the traditional markets. So first to start with the CBDC, which will, on the crypto ecosystem for me, will take the friction of on off ramp. Then once this friction is gone, you're going to have the adoption of uh, crypto DeFi protocols for your day-to-day -day life on the tokenization of real-world assets. I think that's uh, that's an uh, again uh, it would be a natural evolution uh, to me uh, on the ecosystem. And it it does feel like that kind of tightens back to our earlier conversation about uh, kind of the future of unregulated DeFi, right? If 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 some of the if this landscape does get murkier, uh, just from a regulatory perspective, uh, you know the Aves and the compounds and all these guys are going to be looking for new places to be able to run their smart contracts in a way that's less risky or that there's more adoption, there's more users that are willing to take these risks, et cetera. And it even seems like in a situation or in a framework like like the Drex framework where each uh, each bank essentially in the, in the financial system is responsible for issuing, basically issuing their own stable coins against these uh, tokenized bank deposits, uh, there would need to be some sort of curve type of mechanism for almost like ensuring parity between between all these stable coins right so if like the banco do brazil stable coin needs to be trading at parity to the banco bv stable coin etc there need to be some kind of mechanism for allowing you know basically swapping these coins or the, these these tokenized uh i think it's hey i'll tokenized i think is what they're they're calling these but like the tokenized coins that the banks are issuing there need to be some kind of so there is a place for these the, the point i'm trying to make is that there's a place for a lot of these smart contracts and these 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 protocols that have been built in in kind of wild west DeFi, there's a place for these things in um, kind of the you know the regulated DeFi or the the regulated digital asset ecosystem, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, even even if you look back uh, on the sandbox of the central bank uh, last year, um, the Leaf Challenge, one of the chosen uh, participants was AF. And the idea is that Av would deploy a, a lending pool in a permissioned way. So imagine a central bank selecting one participant, which is a pure DeFi player. That's very, this is very innovative, right? And um, and again, I think that's the direction that uh, uh, the central bank, both the central bank and the Securities Commission of Brazil, is, is pushing the market. Say, hey. Open your eyes. There will be a new infrastructure to be created. We still don't know exactly how this would work, but we're testing it. We're we're effectively, you know, you know, uh, seeing and and, and learning uh, how to apply this to uh, as a new financial markets infrastructure. So that's the beauty of uh, what's happening in Brazil. It's um, you know, um, 
I think both Roberto Campos and uh, from the central, the governor of Central Bank of Brazil and João Pedro, the, uh, the president of the, the Securities Commission, are, are super open-minded. They're pushing the markets. And also the technical teams of both, um, uh, you know, the central bank and CVM, they're super good. Uh, you know, they understand, they're testing, they're learning. Um, and, and again, they are, they're pushing the markets. I think this is a, is a perfect combination, um, you know, uh, and to be proud, uh, in a, we as a Brazilians, to be proud of, you know, because we, we have a, you know, a good momentum in the markets. Absolutely. Um, and just a couple questions to wrap up here. Um, I mean, I know your main focus is on the Brazil market specifically. Most of your main clients are in the Brazil market, but you guys have done a pretty good job of having, uh, you know, kind of international presence as well. I've, I've, I've seen you. I think we met in, the fir- in person for the first time at Consensus a couple of years ago in Austin. Um, so I'm just kind of curious as to how you're positioning Parfine as uh, kind of an international brand and not just one that's maybe localized to Brazil. Um, so I'd love your, your thoughts on, uh, on that. And then what maybe just to kind of wrap up, like any kind of final thoughts you might have on the state of the market right now. Uh, obviously it's not, you know, an amazing, uh, amazing time to be, you know, in crypto, but like you're from, just from conversations you're having from your vantage point, like what are your reasons for optimism? Like, what are you getting excited about right now? So I think I, you know, I was in the U S two weeks ago and, uh, I visited some of like, uh, the large banks in the U S and, um, I think, uh, they're sort of switching their gears towards tokenization and SAC is really pushing this, you know, see Franklin Templeton uh, tokenized uh, uh, money market funds and they are even using this for means of payment because a money market fund different from a stable coin pays interest, right? Uh, and this is quite uh, quite interesting um, and it's called Benji. So Benji is getting, it's, it's a regulated, you know, Security token, which is a you know a money market fund uh, uh, quota, you can you can they they've been tokenizing, and uh, all those large banks are looking to to gain efficiencies uh, using uh, those uh, the, the the blockchain uh, for the tokenization of uh, of uh, especially funds. I think the way in US especially that will happen initially with um, in my view. Uh, with money market funds, and then there will follow probably private equity uh, deals, and then um, you have um, also uh, people looking to tokenize ETFs. You know, um, and that's that's gonna happen. I, I saw a lot of uh, you know those big banks saying, "Hey, we for those that that were were in crypto before, uh, providing custody, etc." They sort of froze the, those initiatives because of the uncertainty in terms of regulation. But as far as uh, you know, um, the tokenization, I think it's getting a good momentum now. Uh, also, I think you know when you look uh, uh, around the world, uh, you know, Europe is driving the the famous Mika marketing crypto assets regulation, which is very very clear uh, how to classify. Uh, tokens, how to classify, you know, issuances, if it's secured or not, you know, um, you know, the, the, the taxonomy for, you know, 
uh, asset backed tokens and what that would mean in terms of uh, regulatory requirements. And I think you know this helps uh, to to give more uh, guidance around the rule. So that's that's why it's uh, my optimism is there, despite of again the the crypto uh, markets in, is in a, the bottom cycle now. But you know every time the crypto was in a bottom cycle, there's innovation happening. Okay, there's innovation is happening. It doesn't stop from from happening. You know, so you see now this year has been a, a lot of momentum on layer two uh, chains, or uh, then uh, you have uh, the, all the bridges that's being released. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, people looking for zero knowledge proof. So, so there are a lot of innovation happening underneath our eyes, and and that will be used somehow in the future, right? So we um, that's why it's exciting because if you if you see the market really not doing innovation or stopping, then then that would be a problem. And and to me, it's going to be a matter of time. I know it's a bit confusing, especially in the US, the regulatory framework. Um, but that's going to happen, and it's going to happen once you you have the first uh, uh, Bitcoin ETF approved, which I think it's it's narrowed down, is narrowing down the you know the the chances of that happening is it's gonna it's gonna happen some sometime in the future and that will open a lot of uh you know opportunities so i think that's why the optimism but when you look at brazil whoa man this is where everything's happening it's a combination of cbdc crypto regulation coming right uh, uh security tokenization regulation coming the CVM 175, which allows investment funds to allocate up to 10% of their portfolios into digital assets, crypto and other tokens. So it's it's converging. It's everything moving towards, you know, a crypto uh, tokenization ecosystem. Um, so and that's going to happen around the world. In some countries, there will be more opportunities than others. In some countries, like in the US now, I think there's more opportunity on tokenization than crypto. Uh, especially uh, when when we talk about banks, right, or financial institutions. Got it, got it. Well, Marcos, so great to have you on the show. Uh, great to finally get you on here and uh, and pick your brains. It's been really helpful. I've learned a lot. Uh, any final thoughts from you? And uh, where can folks get in touch with you if they uh, if they have more questions or want to learn more? Yeah, well, uh, reach me out. Uh, I generally use LinkedIn uh, more more often, so reach reach me out to to my LinkedIn. Um, my, my final thoughts is, uh, you know, uh, this, um, and, and again, I, I uh, two months ago, I was in a, in a conference and um, I had the opportunity to ask a question for the, the governor of Central Bank of Brazil, Roberto Campos. And I, I, I just asked and say, Roberto, you've been talking about uh, that's, you know, he, he made some comments publicly that's not about the Real Gital or the Drax, it's about the the benefits that this will bring to a tokenized economy uh, tokenized economy means you know people being able to create tokens of uh, real world assets and trade it uh, uh, in an inject really inject uh, funding into the economy and create new uh, you know employments and and so on so my view is that you know uh, my message actually for for all of us is well, um don't lose the train be part of this tokenized economy and that's uh that's that will create a lot of opportunities for for everyone 
you know, and, uh, and again, uh, it's, I'm, I'm really glad to be part of it and to be helping is in, in a sense to, to, to shape up this new feature. But that's what excites me a lot, you know. Amazing. Amazing. Great note to end on here. Uh, well, with that, Marcos, thanks so much for your time here. Uh, great to have you on. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time.